0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. For those of you who've been part of City, you would know this if you're newer or worshiping with us online, maybe for the first time. We as a church family are processing through the scriptures, discovering one thing all year for 2022. We're taking a look in the scriptures at the kingdom of God, what is it, and how do you live in it? The kingdom of God, what is it, and how do you live in it? And so we're going to be continuing that this morning as we're taking 12 weeks to walk through the gospel of Mark, and again, we're going to be in chapters 4 and 5 this morning, But before we get there, we're doing this every time we meet. We're praying the Lord's Prayer out loud together because the center of the Lord's Prayer is us asking God that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth. By the way, there's no prayer anywhere in the Bible to get to heaven. There's a prayer that heaven would come here, and we desperately need that. So let's pray the Lord's Prayer out loud together, and then after that, you'll be seated. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. Well, this morning we're taking a look at uh, Mark, the chapters 4 and 5, the Gospel of Mark. And one of the reasons why we chose the Gospel of Mark is it's the shortest of all the Gospels. Many biblical scholars will tell you the Gospel of Mark is the Reader's Digest version of following Jesus and what the kingdom is and what it's all about. Now, as we start moving into Mark chapters 4 and 5, what you would discover if you read Mark 4 and 5, you would discover that Mark chapter 4 is a series of parables that Jesus teaches to his disciples and people who are within earshot. And you would notice something that's interesting is that each time Jesus steps into a parable, he will say this the kingdom of God is like. And then he'd share a parable. And if you were to look in Mark chapter 4, verse 30, it says, again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parables shall we use to describe it? And then in Mark chapter 4, verses 33 through 34, as you come near the end of the gospel of Mark, here's what the text says, with many similar parables... Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone and with his own disciples, he explained everything. One of the things that I think it's important to understand, especially we have a lot of people at City who are looking over the wall at faith. Many are just reading scripture and the gospels for the first time ever. One of the things that you'll discover is Jesus tells a lot of parables, a lot of them. And in the West, that frustrates us. In the East, you wouldn't think of just doing a data dump and explaining something. It's not how the East works. It's not how the Bible works. You see, in the East, they believe that the way you actually learn something is to struggle with it. And so if you were to walk up to Jesus and say, hey, tell me the five points of the things I need to know in order to follow you, he would never give you a list, ever. He would lean back and go, there once was a man who was, and you'd go, that's not what I asked you. I don't care about the dude in the field planting seed. Just tell me what I need to know. And Jesus would go, oh, okay, okay. There once was a woman, and he would tell you another, and you'd just be completely frustrated. And the reason why is, and anyone in education knows this, if you tell a story that bears a truth, people learn it better and deeper, and they actually learn it. Does this make sense? So Jesus, when he's explaining the kingdom of God, and notice, what is he talking about? The kingdom of God. He's talking about the kingdom of God, and he gives in chapter four a series of parables, and he always begins them by saying, The kingdom of God is like. By the way, anytime, anywhere in the Newer Testament, you see the words kingdom of God, your radar needs to go way up because you're going to learn something about the kingdom of God what is it, and how do you live in it. So, the reality of it is, Jesus is using parables. And he knows that parables are the best way to learn. And now, what we're going to focus on is a little boat ride that Jesus takes his disciples on. But here's what we need to know. The boat ride has a purpose. It isn't random. Jesus has been telling a series of parables about the kingdom, and the boat ride is the opportunity to actually put it into practice. Now, for those of us Who've ever had a coach? Have any of us here had a theater coach, voice coach, choir director, athletic coach, some kind of a coach? You've had a coach, right? Raise your hand. All right, so what every coach knows and every coach looks for and longs for is when what's been being taught actually begins to be practiced. So, chapter four, bunch of parables, bunch of teachings, but Jesus wants to see it in practice. Now, here's what I know, is that I spend some of my time as the unofficial life coach or chaplain for the UVA wrestling team. And what's really fun is, is I go sit on the wall at wrestling practice at UVA and watch these D1 athletes beat on each other. They are human specimens. These guys are just everything D1. But here I'll sit there and watch. You know what the coaches look for? Not just that a wrestler wrestles well in practice, but when the duel hits. And when the crowd is there and the lights are on. Because the reality of it is a lot of athletes, a lot of theater people, a lot of performance arts people, they do well in practice. But when the light comes on, the curtain is drawn, and the stage is there it doesn't actually work itself out. And so Jesus takes his disciples on a field trip because he wants to make sure that what they've been learning becomes living. And so Jesus looks at me and you and says, you're learning a lot of stuff, which is awesome. But what he's concerned about is when learning becomes living. That's what he's concerned about. So what Jesus does is chapter four, a lot of parables, and then Jesus takes his disciples on a field trip to see if they've learned anything. See what you think if you think they've learned anything. Here we go. Jesus calms the storm. Mark chapter four, verses 35, through chapter five, verse two. Here's a reading. That day, when evening came, he said, meaning Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Now, just so you know, the Greek, where it says they took him along just as he was, is a really odd phrase in Greek. It's almost impossible to translate. A lot of biblical scholars believe that the disciples and Jesus had an argument or a conflict. And then they took him just as he was in the boat. There's this sense that something just wasn't right. So Jesus says to his disciples, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. And they go, nah, we don't want to do that. There's some type of a riff, right? So picking up our reading, it says... There were also other boats with them, so they're not the only boats, so other people are following, reading on, and it says, a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped, and Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, quiet, be still, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid, and do you still have no faith? In other words, all those parables I just taught you, it didn't go from learning to living. Reading on, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Then reading on chapter 5, Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones." Now, what I want us to do is get in the boat with Jesus and his disciples and see what Jesus would teach me and you as we follow him. Here's what the text tells us. Jesus begins his post-parable field trip by saying to his disciples the following. The day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now, when we hear this, we hear boat ride. It's all we hear. By the way, I've been on the Sea of Galilee many times. I've taken this boat ride where you get in a boat and you go to the other side. I've done it many times. When you get to the other side, you eat St. Peter's fish. It's terrible. It's like the worst. It's like anemic tilapia is what it is. And they leave the head on. So you go across, you pay a lot of money, and you eat this bony, Anyway, back to our story. Now, what the text says though is Jesus says to his disciples, and it tells us when and what he says. Now, here's a couple of things to know it's evening, which means night is coming. And he tells them, we're not just going to go put out from shore a little bit like the fishermen do, we're going all the way across, and it's night what we need to understand is, is in Jewish theology, nighttime is when evil comes into being. It's important to catch this. And so when Jesus says, it's evening, and he says, let's go to the other side, there's friction. His disciples don't want to do that because they know darkness is when evil advances. They don't want any part of that. Not only this, is if you were to read in the Older Testament and the Newer, you'd quickly find out that the sea is where evil comes from. And so N.T. Wright, who's my favorite living theologian, says this. The sea came to symbolize the dark power of evil threatening to destroy God's creation, God's people, God's purposes. In books like Daniel, the sea is where the monsters come from. So picture Jesus He's just taught them several parables about trust and belief and faith. And then he says, we're gonna take a field trip to see if you've learned anything. And he says, we're gonna put out and it's evening and they're going across to the other side. And the disciples resist. They resist him. Now, here's another thing that you need to know. On the other side from Capernaum where Jesus and his disciples live, Jesus and his disciples live in this little Jewish enclave where everyone kind of believes in the same God and thinks very similarly. Not without conflict, but that's kind of the sense. The other side is where the heathens live, the pagans. And no young Jewish boy who's righteous would get caught dead on the other side. And Jesus says, that's where we're headed, And they don't want to go because, you see, the pagans, the heathens on the other side live in this area called the Decapolis, the Ten Cities, and no righteous Jew ever goes there. And Jesus goes, that's where we're going. I want to see, guys, if you've learned the parables I'm trying to teach you, we're going to go over there at night, we're going to cross the sea where evil comes from, and then we're going to beach at the place where people with spiritual cooties live. That's where we're headed. That's exactly where we're going to go. Do you catch this? And this is Jesus' field trip. We want to see if you've learned anything. And so Jesus and his disciples get into the boat, and they head to the other side. Now, for those of you who like to go deeper biblically, I'm just going to pitch something that you can look at later. And that is, is if someone sleeping in a boat in the middle of a storm sounds familiar, it should If it sounds familiar, you might remember the story of Jonah from the Older Testament. Jesus, in his moment of discipleship, is discipling his disciples through a story they know. And the story is found in Jonah chapter 1. And in Jonah chapter 1, we find a prophet named Jonah. God comes to Jonah, says, guess what? There's these people called the Ninevites that have spiritual cooties. And I want you to go and tell them that God's judgment is coming but if they repent, they're gonna be fine. Well, the prophet Jonah hates those Ninevites. He can't stand them, he wants God to judge them so he goes down to get his little boat ticket and he buys a boat ticket in the opposite direction from where he's supposed to go to deliver God's message of judgment and forgiveness. So when he gets on the boat, he gets in the boat with a ticket going the opposite direction from the Ninevites. God kicks up this storm, and in the middle of the storm, it is so violent that these seafaring Phoenicians know this storm has a spiritual root to it. It's way too violent just to be natural, and they go through the mental math, and they figure out there's this weird dude who's asleep in the hull. Maybe he's to blame. And so what they do in Jonah chapter one, verses five through six, here's what the text teaches us. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. That sounds eerily familiar to the event we just read about. Reading on it says, so the captain went down after him and said, how can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention and spare our lives. And the similarities between Jesus' day trip to disciple his disciples is crazily similar to Jonah. And here's why. His disciples, just like Jonah, do not love or care about the people that live on the other side. They would just as soon see God judge them as they would save them. And yet Jesus now is going to take them there so that the kingdom can welcome people who everyone else thinks is outside the kingdom. Now in every sermon we preach here at City, we have what's called feet to your faith. It's where we get practical with the stories we've been looking at. And so, what I wanted to do this morning is put feet to our faith much earlier in the sermon than normal, because I think there are things that this story would teach us or say to us as followers of Jesus or those who are checking out who Jesus is. First of all, life storms reveal things about us that we want to ignore and, more importantly, keep hidden from others. By the way, in God, in his wisdom, we have had this preaching calendar planned for a year. So I had no clue that there would be a hurricane that would have just hit our country in the midst of this sermon. But here's what I do know, and in case you missed it, I was using plural pronouns, and this time I'm gonna use singular. Life storms reveal things about me that I want to ignore, and more importantly, keep hidden from others. Now, when the disciples find that Jesus says, let's go to the other side, they will resist for all the reasons we're thinking of. But if you're like I am, there's times where I face storms in life and I just simply know that I need to step forward or move ahead, but I don't want to. Maybe you're like me, where there are episodes in my life where I go to put my feet to the floor in the morning and I sit on the edge of my bed and I think to myself, I've got a lot to do today and I just don't think I've got what it takes to pull this off. How many of you have had that feeling at least once in 2022, right? And so you sit on the edge of your bed And if you're like I am, you begin to do the mental math about yourself and about what you're facing. And one of the things that runs through your mind is, for the people that I'm going to be dealing with today, I just pray to God that they don't discover how little I know or how unprepared I truly am. Anyone else ever have that? Right? Some of us have that feeling in the morning once a month. But there are others of us that have that feeling and it's a low hum all the time. All the time. And it's this sense that if people really discovered me, it would not go well. And I believe, and I've come to believe very, very deeply, that Jesus would love for us to invite him into our boat in those moments. And so I'd like us to take a moment and close our eyes. Some of you have no clue what I've been talking about the last 90 seconds, but others of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's where you're facing something, and you know the only way to get where you need to be is you've got to cross that, pl- that spot that you dread the most and you sit there and you think of people only new, if you have that sense of things, maybe you have a low hum of that, maybe you were just thinking that this past week, I'd like you along with me to take a moment and invite Jesus into the middle of that. Jesus, I pray over my own life and we all pray over our own lives and we invite you in the midst of that somehow some way we are so much like your disciples we find ourselves facing things that are too big for us so jesus be with us and then what we discover is we move more into the passage of scripture that jesus taught us As we discover that boat rides with Jesus reveal the depth or the shallowness of my faith and the trustworthiness of who he is. I have to admit to you that there have been times in my own faith, even as a pastor, where I've been kind of surprised that my faith hasn't been everything that I thought it should be. But you know it's in the midst of the storms where you really learn the faithfulness of Jesus. You truly do. But if you're like I am, oftentimes in the midst of the storm, I go, well, I don't mind the storm because if I can just get to the other side and I can get to dry land, then everything is gonna be good. So I tell myself, if I can just get fill in the blank, then I will be good to go. If I can just get across the lake, Put my feet on the soil. On the other side, I'll be good to go. Again, you fill in the blank. If I can just get whatever it is, the job, the degree. I was sitting in a wedding yesterday. One of the wrestlers got married at St. Thomas Aquinas, and the priest did an amazing job of that wedding. And I was sitting there. Most weddings I'm a part of, I'm officiating, so I don't get to reflect much but I was sitting there with my wife, watching another pastor do a great job on a wedding. It just reminded me of being there in my own wedding. And here's what I told myself. If I can just get married, everything will be good to go. And I found out that Fran didn't like to vacuum either. And how could that possibly be? Because my expectation was that she would love to vacuum, and she hates it just as much as me. And then if I could just have children, so we had three of them, and you know what? None of them liked to vacuum. None of them. In fact, they made it all worse. They didn't make it better. They made those three kids made it worse than it was. And I say that tongue in cheek, but I'm being somewhat honest. Because all of us have goals in life and we ought to, but somehow we think that, you know what, God will carry me and then I'll get to that other side and when I get to the other side, life will be great and really what we're thinking is I won't have to trust God as much anymore. I'll be on safe soil. So imagine what it was like for those disciples when they got on the other side and a demon-possessed guy ran straight at them. It's like, oh, This was supposed to solve everything. And then there's this knucklehead. And then they want to turn to Jesus and go, we told you people with spiritual cooties live over here. And there's the proof of why we shouldn't be here. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The kingdom is advancing. When the kingdom advances, it goes through storms. You come to the other side and you still trust. You still trust. So I want to encourage you with a thought. And it's this, that the place of inexperience, the place of inability, the place of unpredictability is where Jesus lives. That's where Jesus truly lives. Jesus lives in those spaces and those places where we feel less than. We don't really want to step out, but we have to because there's somewhere where we need to get to. I believe that that's where Jesus lives. You know what is even more stunning is that when the disciples finally get through the storm and Jesus calms it and he speaks and he says, storm, just be still. The text says in Mark four forty one, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Who is this guy? Even the winds and the waves obey him. My prayer is for all of us is we'd meet that Jesus. The Jesus that meets us in the middle of unpredictability and not being prepared and not being enough. That's the Jesus I pray that all of us meet. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is stand with me. And as we stand together, we're going to take a moment to close our eyes in God's presence. You see, there was a reason why the disciples were terrified. It's an odd place to be terrified. The storm is over. Jesus woke up, spoke to the ocean, and it went dead calm. They were more terrified then than they had been in the storm. If you read it in the original language, it says they were terrified, terrified mega terrified. They were more terrified then than they were in the storm because suddenly it dawned on them who Jesus is. Suddenly they realized who he truly was. And I can promise you that as Jewish young men, they knew the Psalms by heart. And I think in that moment, When the sea went calm, they made a biblical connection to Jesus that blew their minds. And what we're going to do together is we're going to read Psalm 107, 23 to 32. And when we read it, this was penned by David 1,200 years before Jesus was born. But I'm going to ask that you would read this psalm out loud with me, and I want you to listen to the psalm, and then we're going to worship him. Let's read it out loud. Are you ready? Some went out in the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's ends. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Amen.